Greetings all, and welcome to another episode of the Everyday Hope Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. The weather is turning really nice outside. I said love October. Hey, so we're continuing through this really good Bible study we've been working on. We're into the third lesson. If you remember the first two lessons, we were looking at the true story behind the universe, the, the story of God having created everything. And then we talked about the rebellion of human beings in the fall. Just really covered only three chapters of Genesis. And now we're going to vault ahead and look at our next lesson, which is quite a few chapters in Genesis forward. We're going to jump ahead to chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and the story of God establishing a covenant with his people. Now, the study starts off by asking us to read those chapters of Genesis, Genesis 12, 15 through 17, and then Genesis 22, which we're going to have to talk about for a little bit. And it starts off by asking about the promises God makes to Abraham, right? And this, and again, the, the covenant is reiterated in several chapters here, but it begins here in chapter 12, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And, and when God enters into the covenant, he makes some promises. Now, I guess before we get too far into this, we ought to talk about covenant a little bit. Covenant's a little bit different than a contract. And this is the way I like to, to think about it. If you think about a contract, when you enter into a contract with someone, you're agreeing to do something for them, right? And you'll do something for them as long as they do something for you. But when you enter into a covenant, you're agreeing to be something for someone. And that promise is really unconditional. So it's a much more serious, much more sacred relationship, a covenant. And that's what God gets into here. It doesn't enter into a contract. I'll be your God as long as you're my people. No, he enters into a covenant relationship where he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And God is faithful to that promise, even when the people aren't, right? So it's a, it's a promise for God to be something and for us to be something, right? So it's really an important thing. And that whole covenant begins here in Genesis 12, when God comes to Abraham and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to enter into this covenant together and I will be your God. And so the question here asks, what's, what are the promises, right? And so there are quite a few of them. First, he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, a, a large nation, a numerous nation, right? And he uses a couple of analogies in different places, basically to say, your descendants will be too numerous to count. I'll bless you. I'll make your name big. That's another promise that he makes. He also promises that Abraham will himself become a blessing, which we know to be true. It says, I will bless who blesses you and curse who curses you. That's really kind of a, an important promise from God to protect someone and to, and to really defend them against their enemies. It's, it's kind of a big Old Testament promise here. And then the final one is kind of a biggie. So all nations will be blessed by or through you. And the significance of that one can't be overstated, right? He's, he's really calling out one man to become one big family to become one nation that will eventually bless all nations. And this is a promise foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, who is a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. He's a part of that covenant promise. And this is the promise that he said, eventually I will bring out of your nation, this great nation I will turn you into, a blessing that will be for all nations. And it's, it's really a, a magnificent promise. And we see it right here in Genesis 12. It's pretty early on in the Bible, right? All right, next question, 
what does Genesis 12, 10 to 20 show us about Abraham? Well, this is a, a story that gets repeated a couple of times in Genesis 12. Abraham and his journey to go to the land that God would show him, he ends up down in Egypt for a little bit. Anyway, he's around people and realizes that his wife's pretty and, you know, they might, uh, they might kill him and take her. And so he devises this lie to protect him. Tell him you're my sister and then they won't kill us. And, and basically it's, it's, you know, it's hard for us to understand in our modern context. You got to think like a ancient, 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 ancient Near Eastern person to kind of even get why he would think this. But, but really the issue here is God has just made him some significant promises. I will be your God. I am going to make you a great nation. I am going to bring out of you a nation too numerous to count. And that nation will eventually produce what will bless all nations. And yet, I'm, I doubt whether or not you can keep me safe while I'm in a foreign land. I mean, it's really, we see Abraham still struggling with this. And, you know, it's easy to be critical of Abraham, but realize that this part of the story, this is new, right? I mean, if we go back and look, you know, just anthropologically in history at, at, at the different ancient cultures and understand their deities as sort of corporate deities, what God is promising, what he's entering into here is, is kind of this unique thing. It's, it's a personal sort of godness. It's not just I'm going to be the nation's main deity. God is saying, I am going to be your God, you individually, you and all your offspring, but I'm going to be your God. And I will take care of you. And, and it was a big deal for Abraham to even go and follow. So it's not surprising to me that, sure, along the way a little bit, he struggles with faith. And this is one of those stories where he's still struggling with his faith. Hasn't got, all, uh, got it all worked out. This is why I said we're going to need to spend a little bit of time today on, on Genesis 22. When we get to that story, what we're going to see is uh, an Abraham that's, that's made some forward progress when it comes to faith, all right? All right, third question. God had promised Abraham in Genesis 12 too, that he would be a great nation. What obstacle to that problem is presented uh, throughout the story? Well, obviously, Abraham doesn't have any kids, right? So if I'm going to have descendants that are too numerous to count, I have to at least start with one, right? So, so the fact that he has no children, he doesn't have a son, he doesn't have any offspring to kind of carry this off to, to be the starting point for this is an obstacle. But that obstacle is enhanced by the fact that his wife is very, 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 very old. She is past her baby birth in years, right? She's barren, right? So not only is she old and not able to have kids anymore, she was never able to have kids because she's barren, right? So no kids. So how is God going to keep a promise that depends on something that's not possible, right? So that's really the kind of situation that Abraham finds himself in. He doesn't have any children, and he really doesn't have any human hope for having children. Okay, But God has made the promise, and so God's promises overcome obstacles. God isn't oblivious to the fact that Abraham doesn't have kids. God isn't sitting there going, well, uh, gee, uh, I didn't realize she couldn't have kids. This is not God being blindsided by something he didn't know about. When God enters into this covenant promise with Abram, he understands the score. He knows the situation. And so God's promise is that I will overcome the obstacle. I will be able to overcome the You just need to have faith in me and let me do what I do. And that's, that's, a, that's an act of faith on Abraham's part, right? And so how does he respond to that? Well, we know that eventually Abraham is going to take matters into his own hands. He's going to say, well, since it's impossible for Sarah to have kids, then I'm going to have kids another way. I'm going to help you, God. I'm going to help you keep your promise to me by doing this on my own. 
It's never, never, never a good idea. And so we know that he has a child with uh, Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and has a son, Ishmael, and things go terribly wrong after that for um, millennia. All right, so again, talking about the covenant now, question six moves to this idea of covenant and the binding promise, the promise to be something for someone else. And covenants were often sealed with a sacrifice, right, to make them more significant. So really kind of pointing to this strange ritual that you see enacted uh, in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, you know, um, Abraham cuts these animals in half, and then he sees this burning light pass between them. And, and we're really talking about cutting a covenant. We're really talking about making sort of a vow. And in that ancient time, you know, passing through the different parts of a dismembered animal during the covenant process, this ritual was to say, you know, I, I, am, I am guaranteeing my promise, my covenant promise to you. Um, let God do this to me should I ever fail in my promise etc etc and so what we see is God enacting this physical ritual as a sign to Abraham that he is cutting this covenant with him and that he will be keeping his side of this covenant it's really kind of a foreign picture when you read this because we don't do this right we don't understand this but but this is again God making this serious covenant this isn't just it's important. This isn't just God calling Abraham and saying, you know, here's a list of stuff that you're going to do for me, right? Before any of that comes up, this is God calling Abraham and saying, I am going to be this for you. I am going to do this for you. This is who I will be for you. So he isn't just grabbing Abraham with a list of chores, a to-do list. He's, he's, he's entering into this covenant relationship with Abraham. Now, since this is only the third lesson, we're really not surprised at that because we we remember Genesis 1 and 2, especially Genesis 2, where we see what God's plan and desire for humanity was. It wasn't to have distant servants or different distant slaves. It wasn't to have chess pieces he could move around a board and you know just observe from a distance. He came to the garden to walk with Adam. He wanted to be in relationship with his children that he created. And that's always been God's MO. He, he created us to be children, to be in relationship with him. And so him entering into this covenant and, and, and giving himself to us in this way, is, it's really powerful, but shouldn't really be that surprising at this point. You with me? All right. Question seven says, what do we learn about Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, as they're called at this point, from their actions in Genesis 16. So in Genesis 16, we see that Abraham is still struggling with his faith. And this is that this is going back to that question of how does Abraham react to God's promise to overcome this great obstacle of not having any kids? Well, okay, here's the story. In Genesis 16, um, because uh, Sarai is barren, she gives her a handmaid to Abraham and says, you know, this is what humans would do to overcome the problem. You have sons with this other woman, right? So she does. She she uh, gives Hagar to him. He has a son by Hagar whose name is Ishmael. Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab nations. And, you know, well, those two kids have been doing battle ever since, right? But this is not what God said. This is not what God had promised him. God didn't say, listen, I'll make you a great nation as long as you figure out a way to have a kid. That was not the deal that God entered into. He said, I'll do this. You just need to let me do this. And so we see Abraham and Sarah taking matters into their own hands, trying to help God keep God's promise, which 
Frankly, God does not need help doing. He's perfectly capable of doing that on his own. But this is what happens, right? And so uh, Hagar and Ishmael become sort of a, a, a source of irritation for Sarah, and she eventually boots him. But God is not a cold and heartless God. And so he cares for them. He finds them out in the wilderness and takes care of them. I think that's kind of a beautiful part of the story and takes care of her. And, and even though she was not God's plan, this was not God's plan. Abraham did this thing. And so God honors her and her son. And he also becomes a great nation. Kind of interesting. All right. Uh, moving on to question eight. It says, summarize the covenant found in Genesis 17. What does God promise to do? And what must Abraham's descendants do? Well, I mentioned that the covenant gets reiterated a couple of times in Genesis. And this is another one of those places. And it's in this one where God establishes the sign of the covenant, right? Um, and I just want to read Genesis 17. I'm going to start in, in uh, verse 6. It says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And verse eight, and I will give to you and your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien in the land of Canaan for perpetual holding, and I will be their God. And then if I skip down a little bit to verse 10, it says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he is eight days old, including the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, right? So this is, this is the sign of the covenant. It's very specific. We see later in scripture that, that God has to remind the people of this when, when the, the sign became you know, part of the focus and people were, were so concerned about circumcision and God has to say through the prophets, you know, really what I want is a circumcision of your heart. I wanted your hearts turned towards me and the physical circumcision to be a sign of that. It's not the thing itself. It's a symbol of what we have established between us. Um, and so it's important for us also to remember that this was the sign of the circumcision, that it was meant to reflect what's going on inside the hearts of the people as they're turned toward their God through this covenant promise. So this is where um, circumcision becomes that sign. It's, it may be interesting to note that, that God did not invent circumcision right here. Circumcision was a thing that had happened in different cultures. Some did, some didn't. Um, but he takes circumcision and says, we are going to use this as a sign. It's very specifically said as a sign of the covenant. This is how it will mark us out. And it's not the only sign. And one of the things about the people of Israel is wherever they went, when they were around other folks, there were things about them that made them stand apart, that made them stand out, that signified that they were different. Circumcision was a biggie, right? The Sabbath was a biggie. These people are different. They, they act differently. They look different than we do, right? So there's, there's a thing, there's a called outness about them. And, and circumcision was was the biggie. And this, this is where we see this in chapter 17. And that brings us to Genesis 22 and this difficult story. And, and I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a story where God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. So as the story goes, eventually God does exactly what he said he would do. He starts this amazing process of making Abraham into a great nation by overcoming his one big obstacle. 
He didn't have any kids. And Sarah can't have kids. It's impossible for her to have kids. So what does God do? Well, of course, he <laughs> he has, he, Sarah gets pregnant. She has a kid at her great advanced age, even though she's been barren. And they have this child and they name him Isaac. And Isaac is the child of the promise, the child of the covenant. And it's through him that all of these covenant promises are going to be kept. And this is how God's going to keep his promises. And everything is awesome. And then in Genesis 22, God says, I want you to take your son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Okay. Now, how in the world is God supposed to keep his promises when he's going to get rid of the miracle son, right? So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that he asks Abraham to do. And again, we've seen Abraham time and time again struggle with his faith. So it would, it would make sense for, for me to, well, I'm expecting there to be some dialogue here, right? In, in verse 2, God says, take your son, go do this thing. And I'm expecting verses 3 through 127 to be Abraham arguing with God about why that doesn't make sense. But instead, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. He just did it. Now, here's a man who had been struggling with this, with faith, with this new relationship that he has with God. And it seems by Genesis 22 that he started to work it out, that he started to understand who God is and, and what God is capable of, of performing, the miracles he can do even with ordinary folks. He starts to get it. And so when this command comes, it doesn't, it doesn't appear that Abraham hesitates. It's like he's finally sorted out his faith. Now, the question here, question nine says, why? Why does God ask that? And I want to point out something. We kind of looked at verse 2, we looked at verse 3, but we didn't really look at verse 1. And here's how Genesis 22 begins. After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, here's my concern. God is testing Abraham. Obviously, this is a test of his faith, right? But God is God. So does God know What's going to happen? Does God know the heart of Abraham? God knows the heart of Abraham better than Abraham knows the heart of Abraham. So who is God testing and for whose benefit is the test? So God isn't testing Abraham so God can know what Abraham will do. It has to be the other way around. God is testing Abraham so that Abraham will know, right? God is giving Abraham an opportunity to exercise his faithfulness and to learn something about not just his faithfulness, but the faithfulness of God. So it's interesting that it uses that word, that God is doing this test, even though God knows everything, right? So this has to be for Abraham's benefit as well, right? So, so this test gives Abraham the fact to test his own faithfulness and the faithfulness of God. And so he does this, and we know that, that when they get there, he's prepared to do this offering. He, he puts his son Isaac on the, on, and you know, you can have a long conversation about Isaac and you know, how much Isaac goes along with this and is Isaac faithful and does this show Isaac's faith and blah, blah, blah. But, but I think the, the real point here is, is that Abraham has faith. There's a moment here, verse seven, where Isaac asks, you know, we're going to do this offering, you know, where are we going to get the lamb? And in verse eight, Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb, right? Now you can read that verse as Abraham saying, I can't tell you it's you yet, right? But you could also 
read that as, as Abraham saying, I'm just going where God is sending me. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. And I'm going to trust that he's going to do his thing because Abraham has finally figured out that's the only right way to live. So of course they get to the place and, and he's about to, to do the sacrifice. And the, and the angel of the Lord stops him and says, don't do that. There's already a ram there caught in a thicket. Like God had prepared that from the beginning. God was never going to have him do this. He just wanted to give Abraham this opportunity to exercise his faithfulness, to understand the faithfulness that he has in God and that God has in him. And so, of course, the ram is there and it's prepared and Abraham sacrifices the ram instead. And it's really a great moment where Abraham is asked to do this. Now, Genesis 22 can be challenging for us. My, my question is always difficult. Abraham was asked to give up the single most important thing he had. At this point, every promise God had made to Abraham was bound up in Isaac. It all depended on Isaac. It all was going to go through Isaac. And so when God said, I want you to give Isaac up for me, Abraham did not withhold that. He was prepared. And the challenge for me sometimes is, is for, for me to ask myself that question. What if God asked for you know, one of my things, which of my things would I gladly give to God if he asked and which would I be hesitant, right? If God said, I want you to sacrifice your motorcycle. Well, you know, it's, it's pretty old at this point. I, I think I'd, I'd gladly give that up to the Lord. But if he asked for my house, if he asked for my right leg, you know, I mean, what, what are the things? And I, and I, listen, I'm not saying that this is how God rolls, right? He's not, he's not crazy, right? I'm just, I'm just, I'm exploring in my own head and in my own faith the things that I put such great value on that that I maybe value on the surface more than I value God because I haven't really thought about it in those terms and it really helps me rethink things. Have I placed too much value on something that I possess or someone that I'm in a relationship with or something? Do I really act as if I value that thing or that person more than I value God? It's a perspective changing question. You know, what is it that I have that I, that I tend to act like I value more than God? So it's the kind of thing that I want to think about. All right. So verse 10 says, in what ways do we see the story of Jesus foreshadowed in the story of Isaac's sacrifice? Obviously, the, the willingness of God to sacrifice his own son for the rescue of us, is it's there in that story. The picture is there in that story. So this is, this is, this is kind of the picture of covenant. This is kind of the picture of, of God establishing his covenant with his people. And it's a picture of God continuing to want to walk with his people. And I think it's important, especially when you compare the creation stories in Genesis with other ancient creation stories, that the, the difference in the way God chooses or desires to relate to his people in covenant relationship, not as servants or slaves or possessions, but as children that he, he wants to exist in covenant relationship with. This isn't us moving towards God and God saying, well, okay, this is God consistently and constantly moving towards us and saying, I will have this relationship with you. And it's a beautiful thing for us to understand that God loves us just that much. All right, so that's the story so far. God is creator who creates everything. Uh, human beings as the rebels who fall through sin, God who establishes covenant to move back into contact with his people. It's kind of a beautiful story so far, and we'll pick that up in the next lesson. For now, uh, let me pray for you. And again, my same reminder, you know, if you're sitting in your easy chair at home, 
Great. Bow your head, close your eyes. But if you're out doing things, keep your eyes on what you're doing. Keep your eyes on the road, keep your eyes on the kid, and just let your hearts pray with me now. Father, we thank you so much that you have preserved these stories, Lord, that, that you remind us again and again of how much you love us, even though sometimes we may not be so lovable. So we praise you, Lord, as our creator, and we praise you, Lord, as our redeemer. We praise you, Lord, as the covenant maker who has entered into this covenant relationship with us. We love you, Lord. Um, Lord, help us to walk with you. Show us the way in which you want us to walk so that we can always walk with you. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Until next time. Peace. Peace.